0: You're listening to Skills World, the podcast. News, views, reviews and interviews in association with FE News. Hello and welcome to Skills World, the podcast. I'm Tom Buick and over the next few minutes we're going to be talking all about malpractice and examinations and there's nobody better to join me on this conversation than Sir John Dunford, who was chair of the Independent Commission on Malpractice. John, welcome. Thank you very much indeed. So let's get straight into your report, John, and the recommendations. In a nutshell, what's the the top-line key messages that awarding bodies and exam boards need to be aware of?
1: When the report was published at the beginning of September, uh, the headlines in the newspapers the following day were all about the... Ban that we were recommending on uh, on watches in so, exam rooms yes. because smart watches now have got so sophisticated and can be switched so easily between smart watch with email facility mm. and uh, just telling the time. It's impossible for an exam invigilator to really know which are smart watches and which are not. So the only really sensible recommendation we could make is to ban all watches in exams. We did that, and we think that the awarding bodies will put that in place for in time for next uh, summer's examinations.
0: That sounds like one of those rules that should be relatively easy to implement, because frankly, you've either got then a timepiece on your wrist, and now you won't be allowed a timepiece on your wrist, whether it's a smart watch or indeed a, like you and I are wearing today, more uh, traditional timepieces. So there may
1: there may be instances of can, exam candidates who uh, need to have a watch because their vision is such that they're not able to see the clock at the end of the room. For them, that would come under access arrangements. What's much more important, I think, are the underlying messages in the report that um, detected malpractice in UK examinations is very low indeed. Candidate malpractice is 0.02%. That's one in five thousand candidates. Which sounds like candidates. a really
0: low figure, but I have to say, I mean, just as a parent reading some of these stories, I mean, never mind the fact I work in the auditing sector, representing perhaps members, but it, I mean, that is incredibly low, isn't it? By I mean, is that by... I think what
1: you're saying illustrates the point that where malpractice occurs. It is disproportionately damaging course, um, if, yeah. it, uh, if it occurs in the media. And I can think of an example from uh, three years ago when some teachers from uh, well-known independent schools uh, had given questions, topics away to the young people whom they were teaching in the schools. And this was on the front page of The Times every day for more than a week. And that kind of thing brings the whole exam system down. I invite people to question how good the exam system is, but the fact of the matter is, in this country, detective malpractice is extremely low indeed. And malpractice committed by teachers, lecturers, staff, head teachers, and heads of centre is very, very low indeed. And the big awarding bodies all have malpractice units who are absolutely yeah. on top of the kind of cheating that uh, possibly is taking place i think what's interesting and one of the reasons why the commission was set up is that technology is getting more and more sophisticated more and more miniaturized and mm. is more difficult to detect and it's really important that the awarding bodies keep ahead of the game mm. that the users of technology actually keep ahead of the abusers of technology that awarding bodies keep ahead of the cheats. I think that is possible, but I think it means that awarding bodies have got to do a lot of work on making sure that they have at their disposal all the technology that they could possibly have available.
0: It sounds to me like it's a double-edged sword, though, isn't it, for awarding bodies? Because on the one hand, they want to be innovative, they want to adopt new technologies. I'm thinking in particular of... uh, proctoring and eyeball and fingerprint sort of recognition. I mean, these are all things now which are pervasive in our consumer culture, never mind uh, in relation to examination. So it's not surprising, perhaps, that essentially uh, organisations and businesses are going to want to adopt some of these technologies as well. Did you find in the work of your commission that there were, you know, excuse the point about staying one step ahead of the technology. Are there any technologies that increasingly are being adopted by uh, awarding bodies and exam boards where potentially you could see more abuse in the future if they're not handled in the correct way, rolled out in the correct way. Yes,
1: um, the commission gave some consideration to this and I hope very much that awarding bodies will take this recommendation and look at their own practices, not simply in terms of using technology to combat malpractice, but actually using technology to create different kinds of assessment in which Mm -hmm. malpractice is much more difficult for people to do. Uh, And there's a lot of technology out there that can be used some really good work taking place. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in terms of traditional examinations in this country, there's no pressure from the government to move Mm -hmm. to anything other than the kind of exams that government ministers took themselves 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. So I think it's very much up to the awarding organisations themselves to take the systems forward, to use e-assessment and digital remote proctoring, remote invigilation Mm. for coursework assessments, plagiarism detection and so on. Many of these technological systems that are available both to prevent malpractice and to combat it as well and to create better kinds of examinations.
0: Do you think that the sanctions regime, for want of a better term, that potentially could be applied to exam boards, awarding bodies, where things go wrong, that we've got the correct balance. And what I'm sort of hinting at here is, I'm not saying there's necessarily different types of malpractice, but your commission would have looked at, for example, you know, there are essentially potentially cheats in the system. That's not necessarily the problem of the awarding body per se, if it's got the right process and systems in place. I mean, lots of companies are subject to fraud by their own employees or their customers, every day of the week and you know there has to be processes for dealing with that and ultimately there are of course criminal sanctions um for you know, like corruption and malpractice are there nuances around this sort of malpractice debate in terms of how we get you know, the message right in terms of warning bodies themselves making the relevant changes being aware being alert and ultimately where it's frankly corruption and malpractice there needs to be the right uh, penalties and sanctions. Because it's your that, point about the disproportionate impact, ultimately, in the media, it. isn't it?
1: I think that's absolutely right. But I think the sanctions is the wrong place to start. Right. I think on the whole, the sanctions that are available to warding bodies are perfectly OK. Commission didn't area, make any right. recommendations for new sanctions or different kinds of use right. of sanctions. What we said was that prevention is much better than cure. what we want awarding bodies and particularly examination centres themselves to do is to focus on better prevention of malpractice. So, for example, that means better communication between the awarding bodies and uh, centres, exam Mm centres, making sure that the messages that are going out from awarding bodies to centres reach the right people. And the right people are your key people organising exams in centres on the one hand, heads of centres, the actual teaching staff themselves. And let's not forget the students, the candidates who are taking uh, the examinations, where it's really important to communicate to those young people, and they are mostly young people, both what malpractice is and what consequences there are for them if they commit malpractice. And when we did a survey, when the Commission did a survey of students, it was remarkable the high proportion of students that didn't really understand what constituted malpractice and what kind of sanctions would be available to them. They would open themselves to if they committed that kind of malpractice. So this is much more than a question of banning watches, this yes, is mean, so the this media is much, always likes to pick yes, up on these uh, cause celebs. And, it's an and, interesting story. Yeah. But what's much more important is prevention rather than cure is really good communications by the awarding bodies with the centres. And above all, the creation in every exam and assessment centre, whether it's a school, a college, a training organisation or a workplace, of an ethical culture in which exams are conducted with integrity, and professionalism and responsibility mm. and where there is a, a climate in the institution where if somebody has some concern about what somebody else is doing mm. they're actually able to go and tell somebody i'm concerned about what that lecture is doing what that student is doing mm. and if they want anonymity uh, under the whistleblowing act of course they're entitled of
0: course to when we talk about exams, people naturally tend to think about academic qualifications because it's probably the experience they may have had themselves at school. But of course, your report is relevant to the whole gamut of qualifications, from academic right through to vocational and technical qualifications. I'm not sure if your commission also had the remit to look at things like endpoint assessments in apprenticeships, but in many ways, they are similarly potentially open to malpractice because they are tests of occupational competence that take place in um, not necessarily examination conditions, but certainly in conditions that are independent and robust, and it's important that there's a separation between the apprentice, the training provider, and the endpoint assessment organisation. I mean, that's obviously a nascent market and it's in development. Was there any, Is there anything about that world that potentially yeah. worries you? I think,
1: I think people, people reading our report, and, and you can, uh, if you want a copy of the report, um, get in touch with www.jcq. .org.uk, and they will, I'm sure, let you, uh, let you have a copy. I think if you read that report, you will see that we've been very even-handed in the way in which we've looked at malpractice in general qualifications and vocational and technical qualifications. And indeed, in looking at the drivers of malpractice, we have specifically looked at the additional drivers of malpractice that take place, that exist in the vocational sphere. The pressure from employers, for example, for the early certification of candidate. The way in which fees are sometimes only paid to training organisations on the successful completion of courses. And all of these things give warning signs, amber signals, it seems to me, to awarding organisations that there are risks there that they need to Have a look at. And that's why we suggest that the whole process of centre approval and centre inspection should be looked at uh, and ramped up with a view to kind of end to end, really thorough look at the way in which exams and assessments are conducted in in centres if they're going to uh, remain as centres and continue to have centre approval.
0: As you mentioned, their listeners are interested in more detail around uh, Sir John's commission, then do go to the JCQ website and download the report. It also will make it available on the Federation of Awarding Bodies website at www.awarding.org.uk. Sir John Dunford, former chair of the Independent Commission on Malpractice, thanks for joining Skills World.
1: It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Sign up
0: to Skills World. At www.fenews.co.uk.